Hey, Rockheads. The Norwegian Developers Conference is once more coming to London, December 1st through the 5th. Come hang out with Richard and me in the fishbowl, while hobnobbing with such celebrities as John Skeet, Don Syme, Scott Allen, Denise Jacobs, Damian Edwards, and many more. That's NDC London, December 1st through 5th. Check it out online at ndc-london.com. And save yourself 200 pounds on a three-day conference pass and 300 pounds on an all-access pass if you register before October 15th. We'll see you in London. .NET Rocks, episode 1045, with guest Jim Holmes. Recorded Thursday, September 25th, 2014. Oh my god, I can't hold my breath anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Uh, that's all you got. That's the intro, yeah. Nice, okay. <laughs> so what we do is before we start, everybody holds their breath for 5 seconds so we can get the room tone. And I I kept it a little bit longer. Jim Holmes is with us. We'll be talking to him in just a minute. But first, my friend Richard Campbell, you're sitting right across the window from me here. I just remembered all at once. It's like when we actually get to see each other, we get a little silly. Yeah, we get a little yeah, silly. Because yeah. it's too, it's easy. You know, we're used to being on opposite coasts. Right. And uh, I'm I, used to having only one sense when right, I talk to you. Just listening. I mean, I do most of the show with my eyes closed because I'm more picturing where we are and uh, you know, the, the space that we're in, but now right. this is super easy. I actually get to see you. So Richard came to Pwop Studios. We're just at FalafelCon. Yep. We are now going down to NSBCon, which yeah. you've been hearing about on this show. For a while now. For and a we're going to publish a bunch of shows from there too. We're doing right. all kinds of interviews while we're down there. And I believe my guitar is coming with me. Ah, uh, awesome. Yeah. It's looking be forward fun. to that. All right. Let's roll the music for Better Know a Framework. Great. <laughs> All right, buddy, what do you got? Uh, I have got uh, something that you may or may not know. Now, we've talked about portable class libraries quite a bit on sure. the show. Portable class libraries are a very important subset of the base class library that can go across platform. Mm -hmm. And uh, very important uh, for Xamarin development. But not only that, portable class libraries can hit WPF, Silverlight, um, Windows Phone, Windows 8, and now Android and iOS, and even Xbox. The more platforms that you select when you make your PCL, you know, the smaller that subset gets. Right, right. But there are third-party add-ons that you can buy that not only replace parts of the base class library that aren't implemented on particular platforms, but that go everywhere. Wow. For example... SQLitePCL.CodePlex.com. Oh. Portable class library for SQLite. And this is from Microsoft Open Technologies. And that's S-Q-L-I-T-E-P-C-L. So that it's not SQLite. It's SQLite. SQLite. I'm a SQLite. Are you a SQLite? I think you are. Uh, so there you go. So this is um, a, a project, as I said, by Microsoft. And it's a self-contained serverless, zero-configuration, transactional SQL database engine, if you don't know what SQLite is. And uh, so there you go. And it's available as a NuGet package, but uh, you can check it all out right there. Nice. And that was announced earlier this year, I believe. 
And yeah, and this is part of the Microsoft Open Technologies Group. I interviewed one of their guys uh, for that Microsoft Virtual Academy series on open source. Right. And it made me think, there's some more shows there. Because oh, they're, yeah. they're making all kinds of things. They are. And, yeah. and most of it's ending up on being open source. So it's really interesting to look at the code that's coming from all of that. That's good. So nice find, dude. Yeah, good one. Go. I love it. So check it out. And uh, Richard, who's talking to us? Grabbed a comment off of show 1034, and that's the one we did with Robert Bogue when we talked about gathering requirements. Yeah. I always have a good time with the soft skills show too, right? right? Like it's just one of those things. And it apparently resonated with a lot of folks. Yeah, people really appreciate those kind of shows. I feel like we always need to do a tech show each week, but it's so luxurious having three shows a week where we have all the choice in the world. It's like, get the tech show done, do something in the mobile space, and then go have some fun. Yep. You know, talk about this. And I thought Robert was awesome. And Dave Rail was a big fan too. He says, thanks for another excellent episode, guys. This one was full of gems. What really resonated with me was Robert's assertions about the imprecision of language. Mm -hmm. It is a common source of pain that people use the same terms to mean different things. Yes. I seem to develop a bit of a reputation wherever I go of being a Nazi about using words carefully and appropriately to Mm -hmm. mean one thing unambiguously. Right. It's both a blessing and a curse and something I think is absolutely necessary. As we mentioned before on the show, it's nice to have a glossary. Yeah. 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 And just, and make sure everybody's on the same page of those terms. And it's one of those things you have to keep revisiting. Mm -hmm. There's always that moment. And it's sort of a meme these days where it says, I don't think that word means what you think it means. And you know, the best thing to do is to make those kinds of sessions fun. Yeah. Do something fun while you're doing that because it's tedious, boring work. Yeah. And you have to go over it. And I mean, I get that Dave gets this reputation of being sort of a hard ass. Right. About... We got to keep meaning this word mean the same thing. And right. They, and it's eventually going to annoy people because they just take for granted it's going to be that way. And it's just not. Indeed. Um, Dave finishes off with, uh, this is a big part about why domain-driven design appeals to me so much. The emphasis on developing a ubiquitous language used by everybody with an interest in the project with clear meaning of what comprises the domain is the foundation of productive communication. Yep. So, yeah, get it nailed down. Something to get done up front and, and you're all good. Dave, mm-hmm. we're with you. We totally agree. Good stuff. Thank you. Absolutely. And so a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for iOS, Android, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. And by the way, Lino, your mug is in the mail. He <laughs> <laughs> was very upset that he didn't have a .NET Rocks Isn't mug. Isn't that fun? You know, because yeah. we, we send them to listeners. Yep. We don't always send them to guests. No, that's true. It's one of those things. Yep. Okay, well, before we go any further, let me tell you that Pluralsight is home to the largest technology and creative training library on the planet. They have thousands of developer, IT, and creative courses authored by MVPs and industry experts, and they release dozens of new courses every month and offer a 10-day free trial, giving you 200 minutes of access. Pluralsight offers a wide range of developer training courses, including coverage of iOS, Java, Android, web development, and pretty much anything and everything on the Microsoft stack. So try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. And that brings me to Jim Holmes, our good friend. Jim is a VP for ALM and testing at Falafel Software. He has been in various corners of the IT world since joining the U.S. Air Force in 1982. He spent time in the LAN-WAN and server management roles, in addition to many years helping teams and customers deliver great systems. Jim's worked with organizations ranging from startups to Fortune 100 companies to improve their delivery processes and ship better value to their customers. 
Jim's been in many different environments, but greatly prefers those adopting practices from lean and agile communities. When not at work, you might find Jim in the kitchen with a glass of wine, playing Xbox, hiking with his family, or banished to the garage while trying to practice his guitar. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, Jim. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back on. Oh, thanks for being here. We certainn'ly had a good time at Falafel Software at uh, FlafelCon, didn't we? Yeah, that was great hanging out with both of you again. I uh, very much enjoyed it. And it was a good conference, too. We enjoyed the heck out of it. And you're not on the CodeMash uh, planning committees anymore either, are you? No. You know, I'd served uh, served my time. I don't mean that like a prison sentence, but... Uh, <laughs> sure sounds like it. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed the time I spent with my gang there. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it was just time to get uh, get those hours in my life back. Right. Yeah. Well, you, well you, I think you did your job pretty well, man. It's one of the most popular conferences going. Congratulations yeah. to that. Thanks, man. But, you know, it, um, it was really awesome working with a small but awesomely dedicated group. Um, I might have been a bit of the public face, but holy crap. Um, it takes a big team. There's a lot of folks back there making this happen. Um, CodeMash is surprisingly tiny. Yeah. Um, the core planning committee, so there were three board members and three others on the central committee, which sounds rather Soviet in style. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, you know, the majority of the planning and execution was six folks um, for a 2,000-person conference. And we got a lot of help. Uh, from community and and attendees, and then there was uh, a great group of folks that kind of went off and ran Codemash families, right. And some of the other stuff, but but the core was six people who just kicked butt. Nice and Kelly, yeah, and Kelly for a yeah. couple yes. of years. Yeah, yep, yep. Well, we always had such a good time there. Yeah, we did. Yeah, it's a great show. Yeah. Not quite sure if we're going this year, but we're going to talk about it. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Yeah, we will figure it out. I, I particularly like doing the closing ceremony there. The 64-bit question quiz show. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's always funny since it is such a wide, diverse crowd. Oh yeah, we've had to collect jokes from a whole bunch of different people, right? That's right. Yeah, I remember you uh, updating your your uh, app for uh, Carl for doing the questions at the end. Right, um, that was pretty awesome. Yeah, we threw in some uh, questions about Code Mash, like how many pounds of bacon does <laughs> Code Mash consume? <laughs> And the yeah. answer was something like 30,000. I, I don't know what it was, but it was it a was lot a of lot. bacon. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's, it's frightening. Yeah. I don't know if it's 30,000 pounds, but maybe, oh, it's how much money do they spend on yeah, bacon? It was yeah, dollars. It's, like, it's like 30 grand for the bacon budget. <laughs> it's a lot of bacon. The bacon bar is, is renowned. So anyway, we, uh, we have a lot of fun there, but that's not what we're here to talk about. What are we here to talk about, Jimmy? Um, something that, is probably near and dear to most everybody's heart, uh, which is, you know, how do you manage to take your existing code bases, your existing systems, which in every organization, every team, you know, after a certain amount of time, uh, they get a little funky, they get a little tetchy. And, you know, you got bad corners in there. You want to go back and you want to clean stuff up. You want to rewrite stuff. You know, even teams that are disciplined about doing test-driven development, you find that there's there's stuff you need to clean up. Mm-hmm. Well, that takes time. And how do you balance getting that done with, as Rich said, uh, paying the bills, right? you got to keep the lights on. You have to keep shipping value while you're trying to get this, this cleanup and maintenance work going. And it's a tough, 
tough balance because it hits across so many different areas. And the cleanup and maintenance, you know, you're, you're talking, okay, the code works. Now let's make it pretty so that we can hold our head high when we show that source code to somebody yeah. else, really. Well, honestly, it's even more than that. I mean, so that's important, right? Um, you want clean, readable code for any number of reasons, right? There's yeah. there's pride in self. Um, you know, when you do have to show somebody, you want people to go not go, uh, okay, yeah, let's rethink this hiring you bit. Mm. But also, <laughs> anytime you got to go back in and touch that, you want to do new feature development. And there's always that scary corner, right? There's that component that nobody knows how it works. Yeah. Nobody wants to touch. And it brings in fear. It's like, oh, crap, we can't do something around that because every time we touch it, the system blows up, right? right? Or even bug fixes, right? So, you know, you've been pushing hard. You didn't spec things out as well. Maybe you weren't as disciplined. You've injected a couple of codes. Something es escaped out to production and your customers. You need to fix it. And you sit down at the system and you don't even know where to start. Right. You have so many dependencies, the code's so convoluted, or you wrote it six months ago, and maybe you yourself wrote it right, but you don't know where to start. So, you know, it's not just about having pride in it and being able to show it to, you know, newcomers or whatever. It's like, man, we got to do work and this code base is holding us down. So you have a checklist of questions you ask yourself, starting with, can we do this? Can we fix this stuff? So, you know, I think there's there's something that's even more elemental or more high level that's that's more important that the folks on the delivery side, um, and I've worn a lot of hats, right? So I got kind of this schizophrenic personality about this stuff. I've been on the business side, I've been on the tech side, I've been on development side, I've been tester, all of that. But on you know the, the delivery side, right? The devs, the testers, DevOps, if you want to call it that, too often they're thinking about the code. And they're thinking about, man, this has been kicking me in the teeth mm. or lower right. for a long time. I want to fix it. And business says, you know what? We're just going to live with this because we've got this idea that long term we're going to do away with this product or we want to fundamentally change the product or I realize this sucks, but we're trying to get market share and the cost of us doing business with this limit that trumps your desire to fix it, right? Too often, us tech geeks don't stay clued in with that side of it. You know, when I'm the biz guy in a situation like this, what I'm saying is you keep telling me it's hurting you, but it's the customers are happy. Like, give me a, a value proposition. Refactoring and, you know, working on technical debt, that's not new features. That's what I notice as a business guy is where's the new features? Right. Um, so that that's the interesting thing again that we don't think of and that is a bridge back to where we on the technical side the engineering side or delivery whatever you want to call it have to learn to live more mm -hmm. jim can you get fooled by your your empirical evidence before you and say you know i mean cuz obviously if the things are fixed and the code is clean you can more easily implement new features and you know provide better business value but uh, the business guy may not have the luxury of being able to do a cost-benefit analysis. They might just have, you know, throw a dart at the wall and pick yes <laughs> or no. I sure. mean, how how do you do a cost-benefit analysis without actually doing it? And so you need to start with with getting some of that empirical stuff, right? You can trace 
it's not easy. It takes some effort, but you know, work from your support costs back. You know, what is support spending a lot of time on? Uh, what are they mm. handing over the fence back to you right. that's taking a lot of time, right? You can tie that roughly to hours. And then you can take that and sort of overlay that on things about your code base. So, you know, looking at past defects, can you find one area that sort of overlaps that nasty area of, look, we're getting all kinds of support calls around this. Mm -hmm. um, engineering, you have to spend all, all kinds of time around this. So imagine like a shopping cart, you know, that's an easy example that everybody understands. Right. Maybe we're getting all kinds of calls and hits around the actual checkout process. Like we've got some bad sections of the code around the provider. Well, I can think that uh, you'd be easy if you actually have bugs, but what if the code actually works? It's just not in a state where anyone can understand it or, or modify it. Uh, so that's, that's a great example. Yeah, you may not be getting a lot of hits there, but you can also trace that back. There's good metrics that are available both from Visual Studio yeah. tools like Endepend that give you just amazing depth. Or if the developers just say, hey, man, I ain't touching that. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much there's your clue right there. No. <laughs> well, or you guys do know the most absolute best useful metric around software development, right? What's that? It's a WTF per hour factor. <laughs> <laughs> we should have a little button beside each desk, right? That's where right, developer's yeah. sitting. And every time he hits a WTF moment, he just counts it. Ding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you open up a new code base. Ding, 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 ding. It's like the hotel bellhop. Exactly. Yeah. Bing, bing. <laughs> so I don't know. Google Bing may, may find it, but there's actually an awesome cartoon um, somewhere or about, about the WTF factor. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it, but, you know, that's a good point, right? So there's the spidey sense. There's the experience of, man, every time I touch this, it causes me X amount more work, right? right yeah. But the thing is, you've got to take the WTF factor, the spidey sense, whatever static analysis you can come up with, you know, complexity, dependencies. You've got to overlap all of that onto... Again, a time back to business value, right? But if you can take those various things and you can get some kind of Venn diagram where you've got some, a sweet spot in the middle, you know, and maybe you're not drawing the Venn diagram, but there's still the metaphorical part of that, right? Right. Mm -hmm. It's that overlap of what the business needs, what's killing support, <laughs> yeah. what's getting me to crack open my scotch bottle because of the WTF factor, right? If you can find that area in the middle of all of that, that is the sweet spot to focus on. I think I know the problem, Jim. What's that? You're drinking scotch when you're stressed. <laughs> if you're stressed, you should be drinking some rot gut, nasty old, you know, old granddad. Yeah. Not, uh, you know, save the scotch for when you're actually relaxed. It's good news. Yeah. <laughs> uh, th th there have been times in my software career where I've had to go dry until we released because nice. it was just getting really, really bad. Boone's Farm. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I throw the DevOps hat on here as well. I mean, one of the challenges 
when you're talking to developers about this stuff is that they're mostly focused on the stuff that impacts them directly for obvious reasons. Right. And it's like, it's a code base I'm not willing to work on because it's it always breaks. It you know generates more errors, so forth. It'd be easier to rewrite it and fix it. Those sorts of mentalities. But in the DevOps world, you know, you're already touching on this. How well are we instrumenting tech support requests yeah. to features? Where is the pain showing up for the customer so that we can actually justify an expense around that because it's costing us money? Absolutely. And, you know, so I've been that DevOps guy, too, in my career. I've been the guy that's managed the servers, that's managed the services um, and had to deal with, you know, there's a whole nother category of WTF moments out there. You absolutely have to get them involved. When, when I say delivery team, I'm really thinking the soup to nuts from the business gives as a priority. They've dropped it on the backlog, and now it's time for us to pull that off. Right. And the delivery team to me is everybody that's involved in getting that code out to a user's hands. So not just, and I'm emphatic about this, not just pushed out to production, but used by the end user. So it's documentation. It's the DevOps guy who's got the PowerShell script that's rolling out to all of the different environments. It's a tester. It's everybody. Sure. Uh, you know, and um, I, I'm glad to hear more and more uh, discussions around DevOps because it's important. Yeah, the impact of, of weak pieces of software on the operations guys, on how hard it is to deploy, how hard it is to keep running, like getting capturing that information so that you can start assigning cost to it all so that you can try and actually get time to battle a technical debt piece. Yeah. And, you know, you can even something I think we don't often think enough about as fundamental. What is the top priority feature? It's your build process. And when I say build process, I'm talking at the meta level, like, yes, you know, control shift being visual studio or whatever you're doing in some other environment, but it's that plus the rollout process. What mechanics do you have to get to your different environments and push out? And then something that people are intimately familiar with on a daily basis, hopefully, is the, you know, your source control process. Right. How many branches are you doing? How are you doing your branching? How are you doing your bug fixing? I was just at a client last week where they were stepping back to reassess their, their strategy with source. And I found it interesting. They called their main trunk or their, their gold version, their dev version. Oh, and interesting. They had, mm. it, it was. And, and so I still don't know if I totally agree with it, but I saw how they'd come up with this. So they called that their gold version. They'd push to test. They'd work and test. And then they'd push to prod. So they'd run into difficulties because of the complexity of this. If they found a bug in their prod environment, they'd have to fix that there. Mm. Then they'd merge it back to test. And then they'd merge that back to their dev environment. And then they'd have to do a complete forward merge. So it's like this two-way merge flow. Because wow. they don't have time to go through the whole process. They have to fix it now in production. Yeah, exactly. That's, that, was the, that was the thinking anyway. It, it, exactly. And it, um, I'm not saying that it was wrong, uh, but I think it's overly complex. But what was awesome was the guy responsible for it was saying, you know, it's working okay now, but I'm worried about after we get through this process and we start upping our velocity, you know, we need to scale with this. Sure. But again, you know, that's like the whole process of getting all of that stuff out 
And a lot of times we devs will think of technical debt in the code right in front of me. Right. But you got to think about debt and complexity in what it takes to get it out to the user's hands. Hmm. The cost of the plumbing. It's, you know, it's a really good yeah. point. We we often think that, you know, you have a bug, you fix it in in dev and then push to test and then push to production. But, you know, sometimes the bugs are so urgent, they have to be fixed right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Microsoft had a, for years, had a department called QFE, right? Quick Fix Engineering. Hmm. Yeah. And that was exactly for that. I mean, to patch stuff that's in production. Wow. Yeah. We've talked to a few organizations, and I'm not going to name names, where they have a firefighting team. Yep. Right? Yeah. There's lots of teams building software, but there's like this, you know, SWAT team that comes in because right. the project's behind. And part of that work is your flow. How hard is it to get code tested and deployed? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The whole continuous delivery mindset is is really admirable. And I don't say that in like a snarky way, yep. right? Um, it's a great mindset to get into. It's an ideal. It is. And, yeah. and, and you know, people get very scornful and snarkastic about, um, you know, the pragmatic. Snarkastic? Uh, I, I, I think he just spewed. You got, no, no, no. You got, I was this close from a spit take. I literally had my coffee in my mouth. Snarkastic. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. They Jim Holmes, ladies and gentlemen, he'll be here all day. <laughs> Beautiful man. Try the meal. <laughs> Try the meal. Um, uh, God, now you guys totally derailed me. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, snarktastic about CI. Uh, no, continuous delivery. Oh, continuous um, delivery. Do we need to define these terms? Because we get into this it's trap been a all while. the time. We should do that. Continuous integration, continuous deployment, continuous delivery. Right. So continuous integration, we all should know what that is. I hope so. You know, we can make a build every day or on the hour or at a regular interval. And uh, continuous deployment and continuous delivery sometimes get confused. Why don't you set us straight on those? How do you define the difference between those, Jim? So, honestly, I don't know that I would. Because they're so close. There's, you know, this is different people's vernacular sure. differs, right? And to me, it's like some in the testing community get very snippy about the differences between testing and checking. Right. Hmm. You know, testing is the human brain. Checking is a binary result, one or a zero, pass or fail, usually relegated to automation, but also checklist kind of stuff. So, But in the typical idea, though, it isn't, does delivery come before deployment or vice versa? So I think deployment before delivery. I mean, to, to me, and, and also let me let me preface this: like I am not an expert in this. Okay, sure, so yeah. you know, you may get thousands of mails saying Jim Holmes is an asset, which is also true. But in this particular case, um, <laughs> but Jim, we, I, I don't disagree with you there, Jim, because deployment you got to deploy to test. Yeah, right. You I do, mean, right? you actually have to have it in place. And I'm actually yeah. thinking of uh, I think it was show ten twenty six when we did with Daniel Peasons. Yeah, we were talking about continuous delivering the point that hit me really hard in that show was continuous delivery is a business decision. Mm. This is not just about building software. It's how your customers get it. Right. And the yeah. continuous delivery model is like the end of version numbers, this right. constant stream. That's what the, the software as a service attitude is all about is you're right. always getting new features all the time. Right. But you know, if you've built your business around big bang releases, lots of marketing, that's not going to work anymore. Right. So right. You know, I, I think it's important that we're now thinking in terms of software as it impacts the business. Mm. You know, that's a key, it's a key transition in 
the continuing evolution of our industry. Um, and so this doesn't happen overnight and we're nowhere near the ideal, but more and more, I think folks, you know, in cubicle land in the dark back room that, you know, usually just shove pizza under the door and out comes software, right? Um, <laughs> more exposure about the business side is becoming apparent there. And that can only be a good thing for everybody. To me, that ties back to that, that delivery thing. It's almost like the phone service, the last mile. Deployment to me is continuous deployment is the mechanics pushing to the environment. Delivery is what do we need to get the the final customer using that, right? So it's Yeah, delivery is in the customer's hands. Yeah. And 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 again, that's something that we don't think about. For example, that, again, I'll go back to that customer I was with last week. They were thinking of done when something was pushed to production. Right. But then I said, well, okay, it's it's in production. How do your customers actually start using it? Mm. And somebody in the back of the room goes, oh, well, there has to be some configuration to turn that on. And I'm like, oh, so were you really done? Was the yeah. customer using it? No. Right. It, and, and again, it, not being deep in this field, but that's sort of what I think. The deployment's the mechanics. The delivery is... Man, now you're fine. That customer, customer using product. Yeah. 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 And paying for it. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Hey, hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. You know what time it is? Must be that happy time again. You got it. It's time to break out a bottle of Mad Dog 2020 because this next bit's going to stress us all out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, bourbon during shows. Just not a good idea. Oh, no. That's bad wine. That's bad what that wine. is. And I'm very proud of you for not knowing that particular brand of wine. Ma because Mad Dog 2020 sounds like a cheap scotch. Oh, it's no. It's bad wine. <laughs> bad wine. Very bad. Like Boone's Farm. Like Apple. Boone's Farm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, actually, it's time to give away a Telerik DevCraft collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before I tell you who the winner is today, supercharge your .NET productivity with Telerik DevCraft. This bundle includes over 420 UI controls for all .NET technologies, including ASP.NET, AJAX, MVC, and WPF+. Plus, you'll also receive Kendo UI, the HTML5 and JavaScript framework, productivity, reporting, and debugging tools. Telerik DevCraft comes with three upgrades per year in Telerik's industry-leading support. So download your free 30-day trial today at Telerik.com slash DNR-DevCraft. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Tom Benton. Congratulations, Tom. Yeah. Hey, no clappers today. No clappers today. Actually, three. Jim, were you clapping too? <laughs> I was indeed. I heard. All right. Clapping for Tom. Tom nice. Benton just won a DevCraft collection from Telerik. Like I said, a whole bunch of goodness in one box. And uh, if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .net Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show, we give away great stuff like the DevCraft Collection. And every December, we give away $5,000 in technology to one lucky member of the .net Rocks fan club. But you got to join to win. And we like to ask our guest, Jim Holmes, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology right now, what would you, sir, be buying? Technology. Well, it doesn't have to be developer technology. It doesn't have to be computers. I would argue that a Martin guitar is a fine piece of technology. Absolutely. Fine well, piece. it's funny you should mention that. Just guessing on my part. Because <laughs> I was going to say, if I had five grand, there's two things I'd buy with it. One would be a Cole Clark FL2, which Ooh, is nice an guitar. awesome guitar. Ooh. 
And then the second thing would be a rocket Giotto Evoluzione, which is an espresso machine. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> How much is the, uh, the espresso machine? Uh, it's on sale for $2,300. Wow. That better make pretty good coffee. Now, you know. You can buy a lot of Starbucks for $2,300. <laughs> people complain about the cost of Starbucks, <laughs> but if you're spending $2,300 on a coffee maker, just don't matter. It should be magical. Yeah. So you can find that at sweetmarias.com. You go poking around there. That's where I get all my stuff for uh, coffee roasting at home. And I've been drooling over that thing for a couple of years. But uh, we talked about that on the Coffee Cup. We Geek did, out, didn't we? On the Coffee Geek Out. Yeah. yeah. Sweet. Yeah. That we learned about that place. They have little roasters and everything. They right. do. Yep. They also have fancy espresso machines. Mm. So yeah. uh, I don't want to skip over the guitar because you guys are both guitar guys. Yeah. So tell me about this guitar because I do not know. Cole Clark. Um, Cole Clark. So I tell people I've been playing guitar for 40 years, but I took a 36-year break. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I love that. Um, <laughs> so I was like your typical crappy teen guitar player, um, stopped when I got in the military, and then um, actually Carl and the Womax at Code Mash motivated me to start playing again. I didn't know if I was going to be serious, so I just went out and bought like a $200 uh, Gibson, right? Right. And, you know, just am I going to be serious about this? Which, I, you know, most of the time when you see Carl playing guitar on the road, it's a relatively inexpensive guitar. You know, he doesn't bring his fancy guitars on the road because right. they get lost and broken. And you yeah. mentioned the Womacks. They're a band that plays a code mash and good friends of mine from Ohio. And they're at womackband.com, like Bobby Womack, W-O-M-A-C-K, yep. band.com. And great people. Yeah. They are. So this guitar, I'd been thinking around, you know, it's. Uh, I figure I'm pretty, it, I'm dedicated enough that if I go out and I get a good guitar, it won't go to waste. Mm -hmm. So uh, the last few years, I've been looking around at different guitars, trying to find one that you know, guitar is totally subjective. You put it in your lap, you start strumming on it. Does it resonate? Does it click to you? I'd tried a bunch of different guitars, Taylor's, Martin's, um, got to play Carl's awesome Kona wood guitar. Fancy. Uh, Koa. Uh, Koa. Koa. I, we were talking about coffee and now I'm all screwed uh, Kona, up. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was a little thing from Gilligan's Island that gave everybody bad luck. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm in New London and Carl yeah. sends me down to, uh, uh, Spindrift guitars down the street from Pop Studios. Yep. And I walk in there and try a few different things. And then the guy points me toward this Cole Clark, put it in my lap, strum it a few times, do a little picking. I'm like, holy cow, mm. this one speaks to me. Yeah. Mm. That's how that works, right? It's yeah, very it personal. It totally is. Yep. Nice. Cool collection. And, and by the way, I did pull up the, the beautiful handmade the, guitars, the Rocket Evolution on the V2. It's mm. like a oh. chrome masterpiece. It looks yeah, like it a is. rocket engine. It is a work of art. Yeah. So yeah. funny. You can go nuts with this stuff. You really can. <laughs> I love it. You got to resist it though. Yeah. For me, I can't, I can't, I'd spend every waking moment just obsessed if I let myself. Without a doubt. No. All right. Let's, I really want to jump back into this battling technical debt conversation because yep. I think it's really important. And I feel like we spent the first half sort of justifying why you would ever do this, that you got to find the business value, you know, show yeah. the cost of not fixing this code that's being incurred. Because a lot of that gets hidden. You don't yeah. see that this code base is costing us money right now. Right. So right. given that we've, we've gotten sign off, all right, go make things better. Make these problems go away. Yeah. Where do you start? Yeah. What is better looking code? Okay, so a question that I often pose to 
folks that I'm interviewing for testing, for dev, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, performance, correctness, or readability. Right. Rank stack those in, in your particular priority order. Oh, I thought you were going to say pick any two. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> that's true because number three is effectively not selected. Yeah. Um, so performance, correctness, or readability, right? right. So performance, you know, lots of people have talked about premature optimization, right? Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of the last thing in my book you should ever uh, worry about. So now we got correctness and we got readability. And and my personal order, um, and you'll have to, you know, we'll have to have a, a chain cage match to fight me about this. But if it's not readable, how are you ever going to know whether it's correct or not? Right. And if it's not readable... Mm-hmm. How are you ever going to start to fix it? Well, and isn't that the root of the WTF reaction when you look at code is I can't make head or tails of this. Totally, totally. Right. So to me, one of the first, so you've got an area of your code base that you need to start working on and you've got the buy off and now it's time for the team to start getting some work items ready. And so now you take, you know, you try to dive back into that sweet spot. Here's what business wants fixed. Here's the impacts that we've got. Here's this nasty area of code. Right. Here are the things we want to start looking at. And by the way, this had darn well better be the entire team talking about this. Because if you don't have your, if it touches UI or workflow, the the designers need a hand in it. Yeah. Um, You darn well better include the testers um, and not expect them to, get it thrown over the fence to him. And oh, by the way, does it have to roll to production? Oh, DevOps, come join the table. Right. Mm -hmm. So you start now to look at the areas of code that are in the center of that, you know, that, that overlapped area and tools, again, going back to the static analysis, what do we need to do to make this healthier code? First, we need some tests around it. So we've got a safety net more likely than not, because of the design and the architecture that got us to this place, we can't necessarily do unit tests. You know, unit tests require a certain amount of decoupling so that you don't have dependencies. You can't be newing stuff up. Mm-hmm. You need injection. If you're referring to static objects, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. So time and time again, when I've been in these situations or caused them, um, <laughs> I mean, let, let's be honest, I've done this to myself, right? Sure. I think we all have. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's part of the evolution, right? Um, so too often when you're trying to get code bases healthier, you can't just dive in and start getting unit tests without spending a huge amount of time with something like just mock or type mock or something else. So you move up and you start talking about service layer tests now. Right. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna hack this part of the system around, but let's let's get some API level tests. Let's get some things around the web services or you know the sprocks in the database. So at least we've got a bit of safety net there. And again, we've got to focus on time, right? The effective use of time. So we might decide, you know, it'd be really nice if we had these twenty tests. But if we dial this back and focus on the most critical parts, we can get away with five, all right? Mm-hmm. So I'm totally throwing out arbitrary numbers. The The point being, the entire team needs to talk about, here's what we're going to do. Here's some safety net that we need to get around this. And now at that point, hopefully everybody's got a clear idea of what's going on. And then it is dive in and pick the smallest pieces that you can start to break those dependencies, that you can start to get rid of some of that 
hideous complexity or where you can wrap some stuff with a facade or a wrapper or whatever fancy insert your favorite pattern here. Mm -hmm. So the point being that it, sometimes to get a new feature in place, mm -hmm. when you're starting this effort out, it's two steps back and one step forward. Yeah. Right. Because you've got to do a lot of work around getting the system to, to where you can start to do stuff. And it may be building entire new service layers or service components that you talk to and you gradually migrate over to them. Right. Hey, if it was easy, you would have done it a while ago, right? This yeah. is the code base you were afraid of in the first place. Sure. Exactly. And And for teams that are getting started with this, if you haven't already run immediately and grab a copy of Michael Feathers working effectively with legacy code. Mm -hmm. It's an older book by now, uh, but it doesn't matter. I think it's one of the things that put Michael Feathers on the map. Like, Oh, yeah. totally. Yeah. Totally. And he, he's just a brilliant guy. But that book talks about some really fundamental approaches that you can use and, and some crazy ones even to get some some seams, right? S some places where you can wedge in functionality uh, or redesign as you're moving along. It is a hard, hard process. And, and one of the things you've got to do is set the expectations, both with management and with the team itself, is that, look, velocity is going to suck while we're doing this. It's a hard task, but let's put some kind of a tech debt chart on the wall so that we can see we're making progress over the next three months. Right. Because this is something that's going to take you a year or more, depending on how long you it took to get you into this. Right. Of yeah. course. And and that's what I, as a business owner, would be terrified of. You're going to go into this code base and you're right. never going to come out. It takes a lot of discipline, a whole lot of discipline. And frankly, you can't over-communicate too much to business. You know, like you said, the business owner is going to get very, very worried, but you've got to show that you are being open and transparent. You have to continue delivering value, right? right. This is, a, this is a compromise. You've got to show, look, you gave us the support to work on this. You let us dial back velocity a little bit. We're resetting expectations. That's huge. Right. I mean, there's a really interesting political battle you're touching on here because at the same time, as a business owner, I could say, why did you make this mess in the first place? Right. You know, like you've got to admit that there's a mess there. They love to yeah. play that card Yeah. When, whenever things aren't going their way. Yeah. It is. And so, you know, Richard, you talk about something and I realize you just sort of threw the term out there, but you said a battle. Mm -hmm. And frankly, it's that mindset of the battle that gets us into this. Right. You know, we could go all kind of, you know, metaphilosophical, but we got there because the business demanded a whole lot of stuff very quickly. The technical side of folks, their skills may not have been what they needed. Right. They weren't motivated and empowered to go build those skills and they were under pressure to get it done. And they didn't have the soft skills or the feeling that they were empowered to say, yo, dudes, wait a minute. You're asking for all of this stuff. Here's the impacts. Right. But, you know, on the delivery side, we haven't known how to have those conversations. We just we just flat haven't, right? That wasn't expected. It was the, for years, it's been the idea of shut up and code, right? 
without easy conversations around, here's the impacts. What do you want? And every minute that you aren't coding is wasted time. You should be coding. Yeah. Jim, yeah. How, how many times have we seen this, that, you know, when it comes time to maintain the code and to do these kind of fixes and refactoring and everything that's needed to get, you know, uh, code to the place where it can be agile, right? Yeah. We throw junior guys on it. Right. Oh, God. Yeah. Because they're the ones that don't mind, you know, they're cutting their teeth, you know, it's a dirty job and they get to do the dirty work and prove their metal and stuff because, you know, the real rock stars don't want to do maintenance. But... But here's what I found that if you find that guy or that lady, that girl, whatever that developer is that loves to do maintenance, they uh, can, I've found these guys out there. Mm -hmm. They exist. They're like so rare that you just yeah, like, yeah. you know, they're in demand. It's almost counterintuitive to say it, but if you, you know, you're looking for a, a way to increase your job security and your saleability as a developer, do maintenance. Yeah. Because you got to be good to do it. You got to have experience to do it right. And um, quite frankly, nobody else wants to. My favorite activity is deleting code. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. See, usually in my world, it goes from code to commented code and then to get deleted. It's like nice. putting stuff in the fridge, That's right? It. You know, <laughs> stick it in a box, put it on the shelf. Yeah. At first, it's like in an open wrapper and you like put it from a baggie into a Tupperware to, so it doesn't stink up the rest of the stuff. And then you're yeah. like, okay, it's time. That's Is it meat? Is it cake? <laughs> yeah. That's I'll call yes. it meat cake. That's sufficiently <laughs> unusable. We're getting rid of it now. I don't know. It's waving at me. Throw it away. Yeah. Suddenly, I'm not hungry for lunch. <laughs> you know, that, Carl, you hit something on the head there. If you can make your mark as someone who is very adept at taking a look at existing code and in a non-snarky way being able to communicate some changes that can happen, right? So constructive. Right. And then having the specific tools, and, and I don't mean Independent or Visual Studio or whatever. I mean the development tools, right? The knowledge, the design principles, mm. um, the craftsmanship, the understanding of testing to say, look, here's how we can go about doing this. Right. Um, and you can act as a guide. You're absolutely right. We don't have enough people like that. Right. Um, you know, I've been I've been fortunate to work around a few of those folks, but they're they're rare. They, they are, are rare mm -hmm. because, like you said, it's it's not the sexy, cool stuff. I happen to think it is, <laughs> but you know, we've already established I'm kind of the fifth standard deviation weird. <laughs> <laughs> but a hell of a nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, man. But it's you know because it takes a, a certain personality too. Someone who's sure. willing to speak politely about some by that's something right. that's fairly ugly. You know, yeah. how do you yeah. gracefully say, oh, that's an ugly baby? That's right. <laughs> Your baby is really ugly. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. You know, uh, learning how to say, you know what? That baby could be even more awesome if. Yeah. Coming at it the right way. Yeah. Even more awesome. I, that's great. Yeah. Because now you just said it's awesome, yep. but it can right. be more awesome. Let's put in some more awesome. It, it's tough, right? Turn because awesome. many times. So it's almost bipolar, right? These ugly code bases get to a state for a couple different reasons. One is the people that are there that are still there made it that way. So now yeah. it's personal, right? It's yes. your baby. Yeah, don't call the baby awesome. ugly. 
because it's really ugly. Yeah. <laughs> I just say, oh, I gave that up for adoption. So yeah, I don't have anymore. But I've also found that when you don't attack, like when you just give it air that this could be better, yeah. people know their baby's ugly, sure. right? It's like yeah. when, when you can get the guy who wrote it in the place, he goes, I was not in a good place when I wrote that. Right. Or, you know, yeah. I just barely understood They'll this. thank you for it. Yeah. And that, and that the truth is out. Right. You know, that we, we all, all kind of know this stuff. I also firmly believe in this, and I run into this in business. I run into it software. We made the best decisions we could at the time right. with the knowledge we had. Mm. Yeah. You always know more later. You can always you criticize a post decision. But I think you make yourself mental trying to question people's intent from the past. Right. Just go with, we made the best decision we could make. You know, we talk a lot about the, the similarities between software and the construction business, and it gets way overused. Right. But um, in the last few years, I've had a lot of work done on the house. We put on an addition. We had the kitchen redone. And then I had a good friend who's in the Cub Scout troop with me. Well, not that we're in the Cub Scout troop. Our sons are. Um, he, he redid our rec room for us. Mm-hmm. Um, huh. And it was really interesting talking with him about stuff because he's like a renovation specialist. Mm. So he goes in and pulls apart walls and sees stuff that other construction guys had done. Right. Sometimes a serious WTF. Yes. Yeah. And, and he said, this guy is just, I've learned a lot from his attitude about life in general, but he said, you know, when I was young, I'd get all mad about this stuff. But now I just have to admit, I don't know what was going on when they did it this way. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and I hit 50 and I've gradually started to tone down, turn my grumpy knob down, right? Um, so, <laughs> a little more accepting. Yeah, you know, you, it is. Most people's grumpy knob doesn't even show itself on your body until you're about 40, 45. <laughs> you don't even have a grumpy knob. It's like wisdom teeth, you know? No, I they just didn't got come good in. with that knob and you're saying tone it down. <laughs> I just figured out what it's for. <laughs> you know, it, that is so important because you know we're young and we're fired up and we're passionate we bring all this energy to stuff which is frankly needed in teams right yep but then there's a thing of man just tone it down it is what it is we weren't there when it got built yeah even if it was you fine it's how you knew to do stuff there i don't write code now like i did two years ago i still don't write a lot of code but i write tests right you know so it's You learn constantly, you figure out how to deal with all of those technical problems, the social problems, the business problems, you you learn how to deal with them differently. Um, So yeah, you know, just disassociate that, acknowledge what it is, and then figure out the technical steps. And it is not just this easy, right? We all know that. Sure. Yeah. You know, if, if you can't approach it calmly and with some rational thought, yeah, just don't approach it honestly because you know <laughs> you're already frustrated and if you can't dial it back you're in for nothing more than more frustration and pain you got to be good with vagueness you do you are a testing guy and i don't think we've really talked about the role of testing and taking apart a, a significant technical debt issue like how do you i mean so often i've said we, we've seen guys that they look at this code base and they go well until we wrap tests around this we can't do this right there are a couple different things. First off, I think if if you don't have testers involved at the start of this effort, and but when I say at the start, I mean before anybody lays hands on the keyboard. Right. The testers need to be there because for a couple reasons. First off, 
a lot of times they've got some bigger domain knowledge, not the architectural knowledge per se, but the bigger domain. And you start talking about, well, you know, we're going to rip apart the shopping cart and we're going to do this and this. And a lot of times a tester will say, okay, but you realize that impacts the recommendations engine. Um, it, rec it it impacts the, what did you last purchase? Right. right? The relationship between all the pieces in that app. Yeah. You know, um, and then also testers, can help with the discussions around how can, does this work right now? Do we know this? I mean, we're talking about ripping it apart. Does it actually work? Yes. <laughs> and okay, well, so we agree that we think it works right. Fine. How do we know that? Or that it doesn't work right. That mm -hmm. yeah, it's yeah, limping along, sure. but it doesn't yep. actually do what it's supposed to mm -hmm. do. Yeah. And, and starting to get some acceptance criteria around that. Um, there's another great book called Specifications by Example, uh, and it's by Goiko Adzjik, um, and, but Specifications by, by Example. And it's talking about acceptance criteria style testing. And it's neat because he doesn't focus on specific tooling, but this lets you start before you do the work, lay out what the thing's supposed to do, right? Regardless of whether it actually does that or not, Here's sort of the business flow of what we think this is supposed to do. Um, so you get testers involved in that. The whole team agrees on sort of those, those pieces. And now what's the tester do as things go along? More conversations throughout the process. Right. Um, More eyes on the code. Yeah. To the point of, you know, I, I don't think we do this enough, but folks who are huge advocates of whole team testing, like Lisa Crispin and Janet Gregory, who've got a, a couple other great books, you know, they pair up testers with developers as the work's getting done, not just for writing the UI tests, but, you know, we talk about pair programming, the notion of pairing a dev and a tester together as stuff's happening is really, really powerful. Mm -hmm. And it's not like you've got to do that for, you know, the six or eight hours a day that you're down at the keyboard, right? But bringing the tester in for regular conversations. And it's not just that, you know, the dev, oh, you're, you know, you're not testing this edge case. You're not testing that. That's not the point. The point is about the conversations. So both sides of that get better informed. And then the tester's job at release time is minuscule. Trish Ku, uh, she's at hogfish on Twitter is an amazing lady who works at Google. And, uh, I, I got to do a, uh, workshop with her at a testing conference in Sweden last year. Mm -hmm. um, and she said, you know, at release time, I have very little to do. And I was like, that's awesome. Because she had all of her work to the left, right? So as they're pulling apart features, as they're talking about tech debt, as they're getting the actual coding work done, she's having conversations further to the left, you know, earlier in the schedule, earlier in the flow, doing a little bit of testing, maybe pairing up with the devs, but then, you know, finally, when that work is handed off, it's like, okay, I got about three things that I need to do a little testing around because we've built automation earlier. We've had the conversations and now it's a non-event, right? Because right. I'm just confirming the last couple things. Well, that's all, you know, confidence in your deployment process, just knowing where you're at, where your code base is really alike. It's pretty, pretty powerful stuff. The build should be your first most valuable feature, right? The build. And, and again, like I said earlier, for me, the definition of build is like, you know, control shift B, 
or you know your CI server building and then that push all the way out to the customer using it. If you can get that nailed, then holy cow, you, you mentioned it, right? Confidence, push yeah. a button, things get done. The code gets assembled, it gets packaged, it gets pushed to the staging environment, automated tests run against it, they check, it moves on out to production, bits get flipped live, we run a few more automated checks, our testers know to go check these three to five factors in exploratory testing, and then we got happy customers. Right. Well, there's no better testing than the customer's experience with the app. <laughs> yeah. Every app gets tested. It's just a question of whether it was tested on the customers for the first time. Yeah. Oh, man, you just made my head explode. I know. <laughs> Jim, um, do you recommend that developers spend a percentage of their time on technical debt just built baked into, yes. you know, versus new features? Yeah, absolutely. And do you have a number? Um. No, I don't, because it totally depends, Carl. It, it depends on what the team's like, where the project is at. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you've got a team that has been just nailing it with whatever your methodology of test-first development is, or test nearly first, <laughs> uh, I, I try, well, I try not to be dogmatic. Yeah, that, sure. Right? No, I get, I got you. But, but you know, th the team feels confident. They've got the skills they're proving it by having happy, awesome customers and their support team loves engineering versus hating them. Weird. Um, yeah, <laughs> like that ever happens. <laughs> um, uh, then your need for technical debt pay down is minuscule compared right. to the rest of us. See, I'd also be worried that you start a technical debt initiative that's like one day a week you know, 20% time, and you're yeah. never going to get it done because you're adding new features faster that increases the overall debt quicker than you're knocking it down. It's got to be a balance, right? And you have to, you know, how do you get out of hole? Stop digging, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> step uh, one. Um, yeah, step one. Serious. And, 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 you know, it's an awesome line. It's almost as good as the Regex joke, but nice. it's true. If you can't get some buyout, from the business side of dialing back expectations and velocity. I mean, that's step one. Yeah. Step two is the delivery team has to commit to each other. We're not doing it the old way anymore. We're going to dial it back. We're going to pair up and we're not going to let each other do the same crap of, well, I have an 8,000 line method with 35 nested ifs and I'm just going to slap in this, you know, four other nested ifs. Um, just to get it done. Just to get it done. The way we right? got into debt in the first place. Yeah. Just to exactly. get it done. Exactly. And, and so I've been in environments like that. Mm -hmm. You'll notice I am no longer in those <laughs> environments. Because <laughs> if you can't change the way you work, change, change the where way you work. work. Yeah. Number two worked really well for me. Yeah. Jim, uh, are there any resources we can point people to before we wrap up here? Um, so, yeah, I mentioned uh, Feather's book, right. uh, Working Effectively. Another good one is Uncle Bob Martin's Clean Code. Clean I think code. that's uh, that's a really good one as well. Um, oh, uh, Fowler's Refactoring Book. So that's an old classic. Right. An old classic. It's like 10 years old, whatever. That's a good one. I'd also encourage people to... Take a look at Steve Smith's courses on Pluralsight. Yeah. He talks a lot about craftsmanship. Find software craftsmen like um, Uncle Bob. He's strong coffee. He's opinionated like I'm not. Um, mm -hmm. Gradually move into that area, you know, but but look for people who are not dogmatic. Right. There are some really dogmatic folks. 
you've got to approach this from, you know, the technology is one thing, but frankly, it's the easier. The harder thing is the human stuff, right? The communication with business, getting the team to back each other up. So the dogma is on both sides too, isn't it? Oh, 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 totally, totally, yeah. ab- absolutely. A dogma right. and anti-dogma, dogma. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know what I mean. I, I totally do, and and you know that's another thing, right? The grumpy developer who doesn't want to talk to anybody and right. is unwilling to compromise. We need to get over ourselves, right? So it, yeah, you know, Feather's book, Clean Code. Uncle Bob has a lot of good stuff. Start there. Uh, that's a great spot. Awesome. Jim Holmes, thanks very much. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, and maybe we'll see you soon in Ohio sometime. I hope so, guys. Great yeah. chatting with you, and uh, thanks a bunch for having me on. You bet. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a 